This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Romano, thanks very much for uh, coming on Talk Your Book. Really excited to have you on. I thought maybe we could start with you introducing Katana Asset Management to us and, and what you guys look to invest in. Yeah, thanks for having us on there, Chris. Um, so a bit about Katana, we sort of set up in 2005, six. Got the two funds, an LIC and an unlisted fund. Um, I've still got a 15-year track record now. Uh, we've got three portfolio managers and a hard-working analyst and a whole lot of support girls. And, uh, and yeah, look, I mean, our, our mandate is that we can look at anything, anywhere, anytime. So we've tried to remove any artificial constraints from the process. We like constraints that add value. But where they're artificial, we've tried to take them out. So, you know, we can move up and down in terms of size, in terms of um, where they're at in the development cycle, in terms of the sector, whatever. But we do absolutely understand what it means to go smaller or to go more speculative or risky. Uh, and, you know, number one rule for us is capital preservation. And what stock do you want to talk about today? There's one stock in the oil and gas sector, I think, is one of your classic sectors that's very much out of vogue at the moment. And perhaps uh, the best example of that is Karoon Energy, which is a stock that I think has uh, enormous potential, um, but will require a bit of patience. And obviously the order acquisition, which has been, you know, all of five years in the making, if you like, is the key to understanding that investment. Why don't you talk through that acquisition, maybe where it's at, its, it's history of, uh, of roadblocks and how you see that proceeding from here. Yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely right. That's the, the game changer for them. I think you've even got to go back a bit earlier. So they've been working on this acquisition since 2015 when Petrobras put this asset up for sale. But prior to that, um, in 2006, we had a major event in Brazil, which was the discovery of um, Lula, which was a $6.5 billion discovery by Petrobras. That was in the, in the pre-salt. So you go through 2,000 metres of water, 2,000 metres of salt, and you hit this discovery. That changed the landscape for oil and gas exploration um, in Brazil, especially in Santos Basin. And from there, um, there was a lot of companies that moved and, and Karim was a really early mover and that's been one of their uh, strong, you know, characteristics over time. They do see trends early and move ahead of the curve. They moved in, uh, started the process in late 2007 and got in there and started exploring, had some discovery success in 2013, 2015. So they, they know the basin really well. They know, you know, they've, got, um, they've hired a number of senior Petrobras uh, personnel. They've got a lot of expertise in that area. Um, fast forward then to, to late 2015 when the, the Bayana acquisition gets underway. And uh, we find that Petrobras is, is just, you know, focusing on much larger uh, discoveries. This was a 30,000 barrel a day field in 2013 when it started. By 2015, it was about 16,000 barrels of oil per day. Karoon were pretty much the front runner and won the bid. Um, but then in 2016, some local parties uh, lodged injunctions and the whole process got put on hold. And so it's not until 2019 in July that they were successful in finally winning this acquisition. And then post that, we saw again, of course, when they went to close their debt financing, the oil price collapsed and they're unable to do that. So they've now renegotiated uh, what we consider to be a very, very good deal. 
uh, and that's um, been finalised uh, last month and, and their closure will be in the next uh, month or two. And there's a, a bit of insurance <laughs> with this project, assuming it goes ahead in terms of what price the oil price needs to be out to be profitable, particularly when compared to some of the other projects that have come on in recent years. Do you want to walk through the economics of it? Yeah, I mean, that, look, we, we think they've um, renegotiated an absolutely sensational deal um, because the original purchase price was US $665 million, and they're now paying effectively $380 million up front with the balance being contingent payments um, depending upon the oil price at averaging $57 US a barrel between 2023 and 2026. If it does average that price, and that's a great outcome for them because they'll make a lot more out of it. But the most important thing, I think, about this transaction is that they've managed to do it without having to take on debt. So coming out of all this, they'll be becoming a 16,000 barrel of oil per day um, producer with scope to move to 30,000 barrels of oil per day uh, with about 130 US cash in the bank. So they'll do that without taking on a single dollar of debt and be positioned very nicely in that basin. And am I right that they've got some land adjoining this asset, which means it's more valuable to them than it is potentially to other parties? Absolutely spot on. So this is, you know, this transaction worked for uh, Karun more so than anyone else because not only is there the Patola discovery next door, which is part of the package, that's another 16 million barrels minimum, um, but they've also made two sizable discoveries uh, from, from our context, not necessarily from a Brazilian context, but uh, in, uh, in Neon and Goa, which combined have about 80 to 82 million barrels in 2C. So we're going to pick up 46 million barrels of 2P reserves, which will grow as they uh, produce in the fields. So it'll be more than that. I'll pick up another 16 million barrels next door in Patola, and then you'll see from uh, Neon and Goa an extra 80 million barrels added. So this gives them the capacity to produce for 15 to 20 years, um, and they will now become, when this transaction closes, they'll become the fourth largest oil producer, oil and liquids producer on the ASX. And so as investors always got to think about contingencies or, or what could go wrong. Let's say this deal wasn't going to get up. They've got 430 million bucks US in the bank and a market capitalization of 400 odd Aussie. There's a fair bit of optionality in the, in, in the stock that if this deal doesn't go ahead, it's a pretty good time as an oil company to be cashed up and looking for potential new assets to buy. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely spot on. I think we were saying before, it's, you know, hedge you, make a big acquisition, tails you get your money back. I mean, there's not too many sort of um, asymmetrical bets right at the moment on the market like that. It's a, it's a great outcome for them. I mean, having said that, we're very pleased that they are proceeding. We've been long-term trackers of this company and we're very pleased they're proceeding. They've shown that discipline and focus and patience over five years despite a lot of people sort of losing patience with them because now they've set this company up to um, uh, to be able to really become a large-scale producer or medium to large-scale producer uh, with lots of opportunities uh, around the corner. And now, lastly, the, the price of a commodity is essentially created by the marginal buyer. You look around, you look in the news today, there's so much news around EV and uh, the electric vehicle thematic and what that's potentially going to do to the oil price long term. How have you gotten comfortable with oil as a commodity that's going to be obviously used but still used uh, and very much in demand for the next 10, 15 years? It's the million dollar question, isn't it? Because um, you want to find the perfect company in the perfect sector. And unfortunately, the only perfect company we've found in 25 years is one you haven't researched properly. 
So, you know, the, and you've always got to give away something. And I think right at the moment we give away the macro, which is the oil price. I think a couple of things are worth noting. Firstly, that, you know, on all the really hard-numbered, really astute analysis, um, oil consumption is not scheduled to peak until mid-2030s, so 2034, 2035, so despite all the, the rhetoric. Um, the EV thematic is a great one for our planet. It's a great one for investors, and it will have an impact. Bearing in mind, you know, um, light uh, motor vehicles use about 20% of oil and gas consumption or oil consumption globally. Um, airlines use about another 20%. Uh, and there, I think the you know air travel is only set to, to increase further. It is certainly a headwind to them, but I think at the moment we're buying something with such a depressed oil price. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of people who make serious dollars around these prices. Most of the uh, Middle Eastern countries are running substantial budget deficits at these prices. They're, they're cash flow positive on their oil production, but massive deficits in terms of uh, where they need to be to balance a budget. So it's not sustainable for them longer term. So, you know, we've talked a bit about in the past shale production, you know, there's there's very little shale that makes money at these oil prices. So, you know, I think you'll see the oil price recover. We've had sorry, also record underinvestment. If you look over the last sort of five years, um, you know, we've had record underinvestment and record low levels of discoveries. So I think the medium-term thematics are okay. Would I want to be in oil and gas in, uh, in 10 years' time? No, I think we hopefully should have taken a, a very nice trade from Kroon by that time. And so there's a bit of a shift with management, Romano, where the CEO and, and original founders moving on. How do you think that's going to be received from the market? Look, I think it'll be received very well. I think Bob Hosking has done a, an excellent job. If you look back at his track record, some of the things he's achieved, you know, the uh, the Browse Basin sale of, you know, 600 million US to origin, you know, buying and selling assets at a fraction of the price, you know, I think he's had a, a very good long-term track record. But I do think that institutional investors have unfortunately lost patience, patience with uh, the existing management. And I do think that... Um, his transition, especially if they can uh, hire a high-caliber CEO, I think that'll be a, a, another catalyst that could um, see the stock re-rated. And when does the deal with Buona go unconditional? Yeah, so there's still a couple of things. I mean, it's rich. from here, it really should just be, um, you know, checking the boxes. The acquisition is slated to go unconditional in Q3 calendar year 20, so... You know, within, by the end of, sort of August, September, I think we should see that through. And look, that might be the next catalyst to re-rating. I mean, the oil price is starting to grind higher. Um, we're starting to see some of the backlog um, uh, sort of burn through. Um, so we we're seeing some positives there. Um, so I think, you know, there's a number of catalysts coming up, and I think that could be one of them. But even putting that aside, if you just run the current oil um, deck against what Kroon's doing, I think you still come out with valuation somewhere between 125 and 150 a share on our numbers. So I think there's a lot of upside if the oil price recovers and so forth. But in the meantime, I think you've got um, a fairly large buffer as well. Brilliant, mate. It's a compelling story. Thanks very much for, uh, for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Homer who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.